0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Dairy Pod. I'm Rory MacDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team, and in this podcast we'll be examining the pros and cons of feed pads, including the hidden costs that many farmers are caught out by. West Vic Dairy Extension Officer Peter Gaffey caught up recently with Agriculture Victoria's Scott MacDonald in what is a must-listen podcast for anyone who's ever thought of installing a feed pad or is considering upgrading their current system. G'day, Scott, and uh, thanks very much for talking to Dairy Pod. Um,
1: can you tell us a little bit about your work at Agriculture Victoria? What have you been focusing on?
2: Uh, so, I work in the animal industry development transition flagship. So, we help farmers planning infrastructure and in choosing systems. So, so cover all industries dairy right through pigs, poultry, camels, goats, all that sort of stuff. But our focus on dairy has been very much around feed pads building sort of partial maturation sort of systems to help them sort of feed better, get more efficiencies in their production.
1: Um, so the days that we've just run uh, down here in southwest Victoria, I think you could really apply the same principles to most daring regions across Australia where you sort of looked at um, people looking at uh, putting in feeding infrastructure from hay rings all the way through to, to feed pads and free soil barns and that sort of thing. You had a particular approach that you like to take, the five-point approach. Can you sort of give me a, a, a rough out outline on what that is?
2: Yeah, so we've spoke to farmers all around Victoria, so it's very much horses for courses. So around Gippsland, we were talking to farmers around sort of the low-level feeding systems, troughs, uh, feed, food rings, that sort of low-level infrastructure, the mobile, temporary sort of solutions. Right to the northern farms, we were talking about very large permanent freestall, barns, dry lots, so going into the TMR. Uh, and Southwest is focused very much on the in-between between the mobile temporary feeding solutions right through to the permanent concrete pads. So the five key principles that we sort of focus on is the first step is very much asking farmers what are they trying to achieve, uh, what sort of feed pad do you want, because you ask farmers about feed pads, it's how long is a string? because there's so many different options and solutions. So the first step is very much understanding the farm itself, what they're currently doing, where they're actually heading in the future, uh, long term, three, four, five years away. Some farms are planning 10 years ahead, the more, the, the more permanent concrete pads. So it's very much about understanding what a farmer is trying to achieve in relation to what they're feeding, how are they feeding, what's their production like, uh, and where they want to get to. Stage two is probably a bit more around these are the solutions or the options that might suit you. So if a farmer's feeding it mainly forages such as hay and silages, it might be a ring type system. If farmers are into the low level partial macrations, rations, it might just be a series of troughs. Or if they're into sort of the mixer wagons, it might be a permanent concrete pad. So it's trying to match what they're trying to do with a potential feeding solution. Uh, but in the day, uh, two is very much around what the farm wants to do. So we don't come in the farmers and say, oh, we've seen these all these feed pads. These are the best systems, it's very much a conversation with the farmer for them to choose a system that they're going to suit them long term because they're going to manage it, they're going to pay for it, so it has to very much fit their farm, their management in in their future direction. Uh, Step three is very much, once we sort of get an idea of the type of system they're looking to build, step three is very much understanding the cost, the cost of building the infrastructure, then there's also costs associated with what we call the ripple effect. So if you're putting in a concrete pad, cows are spending more time on concrete, there's more manure and effluent being generated. So the key question is, how is that going to ripple into the effluent pond? So the ponds that are serviced in the dairy now, if I put a concrete pad in there, uh, how much will those ponds have to enlarge to cope with the extra manure loading? Step four is very much in around planning. So we often say designing and choosing a feed pad system is actually one of the easier options. Four is a bit more complicated because where you put... The, the actual feed pad takes a bit more planning so there's internal planning so farmers want to put it close to laneways close to water close to shade close to their commodity bunkers easy access to the dairy so there's the internal com- conditions around planning the external conditions are uh, what's the parcel of land is there a floodplain is there cultural heritage is there environmental impacts is it close to neighbors that sort of stuff so it's trying to balance the, the feed pad site for the farm to use, but make sure that there's there's no planning complications because if you put uh, feeding infrastructure on particular ovaries, it will generate planning permits, which may delay delay the development. Uh, and step five is very much management. So once the system's up and running, there's ongoing management about cleaning and cleaning the pad, cleaning the manure and feeding animals. So there's the five key steps very much apply to whatever type of feed pad you're putting in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great outline of um, what we're going to talk a bit more uh, in more detail about now. So, like in step one, there you were sort of saying helping helping people decide uh, what it, why they actually are investing in feed pads. Um, I, I, at, at our days recently, you mentioned that if people are doing it just for um, uh, trying to reduce feed wastage, that wasn't a strong enough reason to you know invest heavily. They need to consider. Uh, a couple of different reasons why they might look at doing a feed pad. Can you sort of describe some of those reasons why people look at uh, putting in feed pad infrastructure or feed areas? Yeah, so sort
2: of the, understanding the reasons sort of helps us figure out the type of system. So farmers will quote, if you put feed out in the paddock, we lost 30%. So then you sort of work out how much feed you bring in each year, then you sort of work out a rough estimate of 30% wastage. That's not a good driver. It sort of helps, it tells you that if you're feeding hay and silage out in the paddock, you get there's huge losses. So improving your feeding infrastructure obviously makes some changes. The key questions we ask around the feed system is um, how often you're going to use it. Are the cows there one or two hours each day? Are they there for three or four months of the year? So have you got wet periods where you want need to get cows off paddocks? Or have you got hot periods over summer where cows are losing production because they need to get out of the, uh, the extremities? Other things with feed pads is, is they, they experiment with by-products so they get ch- cheaper feeds coming from different different areas. So they like to change the mix and the rations for the feed, for the for the animals. Uh, a lot of us will do it labour and some of the machinery they have. So there's a number of reasons that sort of helps helps us pick the sort of feed pad solution. But the key information is how often you're going to use it. If they're talking five, six, seven hours a day for most of the year, then you're sort of starting to think you've, you've moved beyond a temporary mobile. You're getting into something that's fairly permanent because you're going to use it regularly.
1: Yeah and then moving back into uh, into number 2 so choosing the system and there's obviously a wide variety there um and and maybe we can touch a bit on on number 3 as well but you've got hay rings which are obviously a, a relatively low investment um in, into in in uh, in infrastructure um through to a full concrete you know uh, feed barn with a shed and the and the whole works can you give us an idea of the costs involved? Um, you, you threw up some, some average numbers that you've seen in your time working with farmers. What, what's, the, what's the range that you can get there?
2: Uh, so the costs are quite, uh, quite complex. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, troughs themselves have a range of different costs, depending on whether the box culvert, the jay troughs, or the sort of the felot troughs. We generally try to understand the actual farm way they're farming. So if they're very much a grazing system, where they spend most of time out grazing, and it's a bit of a top-up system with some sort of hay or silage products, then you might be able to use some module mobile rings where you can relocate this long ways throughout the paddocks. So it's what we call the mobile temporary solution. So you're topping up the feed, but it's very pasture-dominated, and there's a bit of growing going for the dairy. So they're the low-level stuff. Those sort of systems, we know they range from anywhere from $50 per cow or less. Yeah. Uh, quite low. if you're getting into the troughs, so you're sort of getting... Grazing is still very much a part of your farm, but you're in the pasture with ration. so you've got a bit of a wagon going through, you're feeding sort of chopped silage or something. You start getting into the troughs, and there's a range of troughs and configurations, how you how you lay them out. It's It comes down to uh, what you want to feed, how often you want to feed. Those costs can range from anywhere from 100 to $200 per cow, depending on the number of cows you want to feed. Uh, but if you're sort of getting into serious partial matrations where the cows are spending a fair bit of time on an area more regularly throughout the year you're getting in the concrete pads we know they start at around $800 per cow Yeah. Uh, then they keep going up as you add roofs once you get into a barn type situation we know from all the clients we deal with they're around $2,000 a cow Yep. and once you get up into the, the serious free stall sand bedding sort of stuff they're around $3,500 per cow
1: Yep. Yeah, which is talking pretty serious money. So then you talk about uh, payback periods and and how long, you know, return on investment. So all of these things need to be considered, I guess, when you're choosing which system to to work with. Um, at the at the days we had recently, you had the plastic modules um, feed pads, which was which was quite uh, I hadn't seen it before. So can you tell us a little bit about how they were?
2: So that's um, the GeoHex. So that's an alternative to pouring concrete. So they still fall into the category of sort of, semi, they're sort of semi-permanent. So they're temporary, they can be broken up, and moved, moved. But they're sort of plastic modules like a matting that you bolt together, that just click together, you, you fill them with sand, then you can put feed troughs. So they're a way of stopping the wear and tear along the feed face when the cows and the high traffic areas. Yep. A bit more stability for the wagons and tractors to get along. So they're around 20 to $30 sort of per metre compared to concrete, which can be in the hundreds. So there's sort of a, a temporary solution that's come through to some of the farms, particularly in Gippsland. We've worked with three clients down there, and they, they reckon that's fantastic. They've been in five, six years, and they've, they've never had to patch a patch of hole. So good foundation material, but it's an alternative that's rather than pouring concrete and locking yourself into an area.
1: So you touched on before on on the ripple effects. Um, So like you you talked about the effluent pond um, and how you know and right sizing it to the infrastructure that you're putting putting in. Um, Have you got a you mentioned a story about uh, uh, Darren was it? Darren the farm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and I think um, I think that really resonates because I can sort of see farmers um, you know following in that path. Could you sort of tell tell us uh, about Darren's story?
2: Yeah, so Darren's probably a typical farmer because it's they very much focus on the infrastructure. So Darren rang up and said, I want, I want a concrete feed pad. And we talked to Darren about so what are the reasons for building a feed pad. Darren's only driver was, I'm, I'm feeding out under the fence line at the moment in the paddock and I'm losing 30%. I've spent $300,000 on feed this year. I've lost 30%, therefore I've lost $100,000. Therefore, I can build a feed pad, a big concrete feed pad, apart from two years. So it's back of the matchbox sort of calculations. So that's sort of focused very much on the feed pad. So I said to Darren, but let's start doing the scenario of you putting a feed pad. So he said, all right, the feed pad for your herd is going to be 170 metres in length, 16 metres wide, which is the standard sort of spacing of two 5-metre cow alleys and a central 6-metre feed alley. Uh, then we work on anything between 0.6 to 0.76 metres per cow, depending on whether they're big Holstein's. So we sort of got a rough dimension. So he said, Darren, based on your, your cows, their spacing, your feed pad's going to be 170 metres by 16. So where are you putting that big slab of concrete? Because it's a decent size. And Darren's first reaction was it's a bit bigger than I thought. So Darren said, oh, we put it up beside the dairy, which sort of fitted into his laneways close to his dairy. He could tap into the pond. So solved that problem. The next question was we've got to get a 1% slope. So we've actually got to jack the concrete up so we can actually flood wash it. So where are we going to find dirt to build this pad up? Because we're in northern Victoria, it's quite flat. So there's a fair bit of dirt. We're talking, I think there's about 20,000 cubic meters of soil. So where are we going to find all this dirt? And Darren said, it's a lot more dirt than I thought. So Darren said, I oh, would we'll just dig a farm dam as we can. Uh, so that was fine. So we assumed we had dirt. The next question was, now we've got the concrete, we've got the slope, we ran it through our toolkit, and it says, based on the slope, the roughness coefficient you need 70,000 litres of water to flood washes each day. Where are we finding 70,000 litres of water? So if you get fresh water, that's a lot of water to find. So Darren said, we will just recycle it off the second pond, so which is quite common, works quite well in the industry. So then we've got to start measuring the water in the dairy. We've got to measure the ponds. So as it turned out, Darren's first pond, which was about 2 megs, his second pond was about 5 megs. They were significantly undersized for the current dairy. So the ripple effect is they're too small now for the big rotary. Put a concrete pad with a cow, spend a lot more time. So your primary pond of two megs is now got to go to about six megs. And your second pond is going from five megs to about 13. So it's not only extra earthworks, it's extra cost, but it's a bigger footprint. So will those extra large ponds fit in the same paddock next to the dairy and the feed pad? So that's the ripple effect. And suddenly Darren is thinking I didn't consider the ponds um, but yeah that's rippled then the next question is all right we we're putting got all that sorted out we've got to put power got to run power to the top of the feed pad so we can actually pump up into the flood wash for recycler recycle of water and the question Darren says, oh power is five k's away i hadn't considered that the costs are blown out I, yeah so he said oh, i can't do it it's just got too complicated so it sort of made darren go away and think about it for a couple of weeks so he went through all the questions that i posed to him about where do you find water, where do you find soil, will it fit in that paddock, how does it get power. So he went away, did a bit of homework, and he rang me up th- uh, three weeks later and said, look, I can actually do it. I can answer every question you're posed to me. It's doable, I've done costs, I know what it's, it's gonna cost me overall, including the ripple effect, I want to do it. So he understands what he's doing, so now it's about planning, it's all right, let's, let's start the planning process to figure out what permits you need. And what overlays that sort of stuff so it's a, it's a bit of a journey to sort of understand it's not just the infrastructure but it's what else will change when i change things because it's more it's not just the the feed pad but it's more manure it's the cows at the dairy it's the cows on the concrete feed pad more water more rainfall It all impacts on the effluent system so that's the ripple effect which is quite often misunderstood. On
1: yeah, definitely, um, and it actually leads in really well to my uh, my next question, which is around systems creep. So people start out and they sort of think, oh, I need a need a feed pad or I need some feeding infrastructure. And um, you talked about it a bit at, at our days recently, um, but then there was also uh, one of the um, farms that we went to visit. Said that he uses his pad strictly as a tool um, to complement the pasture-based system that he that he wants to run. Can you sort of describe to me, you know, because I think systems creep is something that does happen. Can you can you describe to me what what people are talking about there?
2: Yeah, it's quite common that if farms sort of evolve depending on circumstances, there might be a dry season, so they get less pasture, or the cows might they might increase their herd, so the system starts off by a sort of Small stock containment area, we're feeding a little bit of supplements here. We're mainly grazing, but suddenly the season changes. The cows are there a little bit longer than an hour a day. They're suddenly there two or three hours a day. They get a dry winter or something where they need to, need to spend cows on this area a bit lot longer. So suddenly they're there for half the day, they're there for a few weeks. So they're actually sort of still grazing, but they're adjusting to a, to a seasonal a hot summer or a wet winter. So they spend a lot longer on the area an area that wasn't designed for cows long term. So they actually start to creep and they basically start to figure out that the area wasn't designed for, for holding cows for long periods. That's when they think hindsight should have gone to a concrete pad. But the early thinking was I didn't want a concrete pad because I just wanted to use this short term. So it's sort of it's very much to understand this from a systems creep perspective is if it may evolve into a more permanent type of feeding area, this might not be the right location. So. Pick an area on the farm that's suitable for a stock containment area, low usage, infrequent use. That's totally different to a permanent area for feeding where the cows will spend long parts of their time. So you sort of don't want farmers to keep retrofectually building. So if you sort of start an area off and you start using a bit of feeding onto it uh, and you know long term you sort of, Get be more permanent you want to creep on the same area you don't want to sort of stop one area go move somewhere else because every time you start to move and relocate it costs money, it costs money. Yeah.
1: um and you uh agvic have got a um, tool to help farmers in the planning um, phase called uh, navigating farm developments what What does that uh, website actually help you do
2: so this is a tool we, we probably thought about five years ago because farmers were telling us it's it's very complicated understanding planning, particularly around sort of building feed pads. Do I need a permit for a feed pad? Um, what what plans do I need? What what farm investigations such as soil permeability? What, what tests do I need? It's quite complicated understanding the, the planning process. Farmers tend to hear that it's more complicated getting planning permits than what it actually is. So some planning reforms come out in Victoria in September 2018. Which basically gave farmers the right to farm. So it's basically saying if you're building a, a feed pad, a concrete feed pad, even though it's permanent and if it's part of grazing, you don't need a planning permit because you are grazing. So you might need a, a building permit if you're putting a roof structure on it, but if you're moving dirt in your outside overlays, such as flood overlays or land subject inundation, so it's actually sited pretty well on your farm, you don't need a planning permit. So we built this program called Navigating Dairy Developments. Originally, it was a a tool where farmers could actually go in, they put their property address, they zoom into their actual land, and they can actually site. So they can actually draw on on the the aerial a feed pad, an effluent pond, a new dairy. And as they work themselves through the program, the program drops in their property overlays, their farming zones, and it actually tells them you need a permit because you've, you've hit a cultural heritage overlay, you need to get an effluent management plan, you need to do a nutrient budget. So it actually guides farmers along the planning process. The feedback from farmers, if you're building low-level infrastructure or if you're building stems, they've actually said it's not that complicated planning. They just assume that when you go through local government, there's a, there's a bit of planning there. go. But it depends on what you're building and where you're building it. So the till actually helps farmers. It takes sort of the grief and some of the angst out that it's not complicated. You might just need a particular permit, Submit application. It's pretty straightforward, and life goes on. So it takes out the angst. That tool's now evolved into navigating farm developments, which picks up the beef, sheep, goats, and pig and poultry industry.
1: And you gave a really good example the other day of a farm that it, it originally um, found a site that they wanted to to have their feeding infrastructure, feeding pad, yep. and they needed to move it five metres or five something yeah, like so that. Sort of
2: so his idea was to build a, a sort of compost loafing barn for wet weather. So his, his land was fairly flat. So he wanted a bit of a loafing shed to get the cows out of the weather uh, and give them a bit of shelter. So he got the plans drawn up. He found an area which he thought was fantastic. Uh, then he talked to us. So we ran, ran the program, the Navigating Farm program on his farm and discovered that his, his site he chose for the barn it actually was on top of a cultural heritage overlay, which meant that's fine. You can build there but you've got to get a cultural heritage management plan, which can cost anywhere between ten dollars $25,000 in planning. So it would take them a little bit longer to build on that site because you had to address the overlay issues. So for the sake of sort of relocating the barn, in this case it was five metres, we just moved it five metres towards the north. Uh, to avoid this overlay, therefore avoiding the impact, you did, need to, you did need to get a cultural heritage overlay. So understanding where you put it, on your farm is just important about the type of designs. Yeah.
1: And you can uh, cut a lot of trouble off at the pass by doing good thorough planning and and making sure you're putting it in the right place. And,
2: yeah. Planning is very much a key. So that's step four is that once you sort of understand what you want to do, where you want to put it, the planning sort of helps fine-tune where it's actually going and it tells you the process, what applications, what plans you might need to help with with the overall planning.
1: Um, And then... Uh, Number five is um, day-to-day management of the area. Um, Like, I suppose animals are... And what are some of the problems that people can have with, uh, you know, with managing them well?
2: Uh, So we generally say the more money you spend on feeding infrastructure, there's potentially less less issues uh, because you're sort of justifying. So if you've sort of got low mobile sort of feeding stuff you can expect pugging and bogging and odor and you've got to dry scrape manure, you've got to push feed out, you've got to clean out troughs. A lot more labour, a lot more potential issues. From a from an issues perspective, the EPAs will focus very much on a nutrient runoff or an odour emissions from the farm. They're more associated with the lower level sort of mobile temple where the cows might spend a bit longer in an area. Once you sort of get in the concrete pads that they self-wash the manure systems are quite quite well designed. Uh, there's less odour, there's less feed wastage, so you don't know, have to clean up. So the more money you spend on permanent infrastructure, there's less management issues. But feed pads will always have some some sort of labour requirements because you're dealing with feed and dealing with manure, so you've got to you remove both at some point.
1: Uh, that's great, and and uh, you're working on updating the uh, the guidebook to to feed pads. Um, can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so that's
2: a project that's come through because of the Victorian planning scheme has changed last uh, in 2018. So we've actually introduced a new term into the planning division. It's called Intensive Dairy Farm. So this is very much for farmers who are moving into the total mixed rations where there's are zero grazing. So that picks up their feed pads, uh, the, the free stalls, the barns and the dry lots. So if you're getting those intensive systems... You fall under what we call intensive dairy farm under the new planning scheme, which means you need a permit. So, saying you can't do it, it's not saying you can't do it, but you just need a planning permit. So, same sort of level of planning. We're going into concrete feed pads. So, because legislation has changed, it sort of it sort of forces us to update the Victorian feed pad and freestore guidelines, which we wrote in 2010. Uh, since we wrote those in 2010, the, um, the barns and the dry lots have come through. In a, f- a fairly significant wave, so we've sort of got to address some of the design principles around them. So it's sort of good timing, legislation's changed, there's new systems, barns, and dry lots, so let's update the Victorian Free Store guidelines. So, talking to Dairy Australia and the, uh, the industry bodies, they said, well, it makes more sense to actually make it national because when we talk to the, the clients in Western Australia, South Australia, New South Wales, they're all telling us they're using the Victorian guidelines anyway because they're the only guidelines in Australia. So in partnership with Dairy Australia, it made a lot more sense. So, well, let's just make it a national dairy feed pad, free stall barn, dry lot like guidelines. So it sort of covers all the systems around Australia.
1: Ah, oh, that's great. And uh, if if somebody is uh, sitting at home listening to this, Scott, and they want to, and they're in the throes of considering a feeding area, um, where where should we direct them to?
2: Uh, so Agriculture Victoria runs runs a program. So they could probably ring their nearest agricultural office in in the dairy region so Warnable, sort of Ballarat down the southwest, Allenbank, so the Mafra or Gatha office around Gippsland or anywhere in North McToy, Echuca, Chichura or Wangaratta and talk to our ag, ag staff and then we can talk to farmers we offer a service to come out on farm to help talk to one-on-one about what they're trying to do what they're trying to achieve then we can help them with the planning we can take out some of the angst. We also can provide some design, generic design advice and link, link them to professional services depending on what their needs so. are.
1: So, Scott, technology's changing all the time. What's, what's uh, coming down the pipeline in, uh, in technology and in feed pads? Yeah. Uh,
2: so, we've got a few projects on the go because as feed pads are evolving, becoming a bit more complex, and with sort of the intensive dairy farms around the free stalls and the barns. It's telling us we've got to change our thinking, so there's new technologies around effluent system design. Uh, We know that once we get more intensive and uh, cows spend more time on a concrete area, we've got to look at more at solid separation. So we're looking at some research on manure separation systems, uh, even right through to anaerobic digestion, because farmers are now concentrating cows in sheds and on concrete pads for lots of hours throughout the day. They're asking the serious questions about anaerobic digestion, energy energy recovery off our effluent ponds. So they now have the system that suits the technology. So we're doing some work and looking at what an effluent system that incorporates anaerobic digestion technology would look. Uh, early thinking, because original thinking was unless you've got a thousand cows in a free stall, forget anaerobic digestion. We're working with a group at the moment and they're telling us that we can build very simple solutions, potentially four hundred and fifty cow farms who have got feed pads as opposed to thinking a 1,000 cows in a, in a freestall. So we think that technology will suit the industry. We're also doing a bit of work on odour modelling. There's no odour data for intensive dairy farms on big intensive feed pads right through the barns freestall. So we're going to start some odour trials in the next three months, which will be a two-year project, getting some odour data. Yep. Once we get odour data, it sort of helps us with separations and buffers for, for the planning aspects. Um, so, no, exciting time for technology. As I said as systems evolve, our thinking has to evolve uh, right up there with water filtration, improving water, recycling effluent. So, as our systems get bigger and larger, and cows spend more time on an area, we've got to adapt our technology, particularly around the effluent.
1: Yeah. Um, you introduced me to a new term that I hadn't really heard before mega farms can you um you get you get some planning permits or some people interested in these uh, in building these mega farms? Can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yes it's probably a controversial term because now we can actually define mega so it's probably when you get the the scale that it's um, very large farms. so i don't know what a number is but we've got we know the free stalls that are coming in their models are around two to three thousand cows in the free stalls we've got some bigger' Put existing farm developments that are up around the 10,000 cows in a number of barns and freestalls. So they're still are they mega stage. I don't don't know. We've had a few corporate uh, investors looking at farms that are talking potentially 20 to 30,000 cows in sheds, fully fully housed. So in robotic dairies in these facilities. So once you're sort of getting up into that sort of 20, 30,000 cows on farms in facilities. I'm not sure you can use the word mega, but they sort of they exceed the large large herd
1: scale. So Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. Yeah. No worries. Uh well thanks very much for talking to Dairy Pod today, Scott, and uh see you next time. Thanks, Ben.
0: Thanks to Peter and Scott for that revealing discussion on the benefits and drawbacks of feed pads. No matter where you are around Australia, make sure you seek out expert advice before making an expensive decision on feed pads. Your local RDP regional extension officer will be able to point you in the right direction for planning and design questions, so please get in touch with them. That's it for this episode. Don't forget to you can hear previous Dairy Pods at SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Take care till next time and thanks for listening.